The world of relationships has been dramatically altered by social media, dating apps, and online dating sites. Furthermore, the sexual revolution clashes with a biblical understanding of sexuality and the meaning of relationships. Ben Stewart spoke at the ERLC National Conference on navigating life and love in the modern age. Let's listen now. Awesome to see you. Such an honor to be here. I am, like I imagine many of you, deeply grateful for the ERLC and for Dr. Moore. The Lord's launched me and my wife, my kids out to Washington, D.C., but it's friends and brothers like this that have been wind in our sail and that we're deeply grateful for. So let me pray for us and we'll jump into what God has for us. God, thanks for these few minutes around your word. Uh, I pray help us understand things we don't right now feel things deeply that you feel and may have changed the way we speak and, and live. And I just want to ask you, if you're up for it, to take a minute and you ask him, say, Lord, please teach us. May this not just be the thing before the next thing, but Lord, teach me right now. Well, Father, we love you and we trust you. Use this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I remember the first time I ever walked onto Kyle Field, which is the football stadium at Texas A&M. I, former side, I was an Aggie, but freshman, I knew surprisingly little about the school. So as I was walking there, uh, I was peppering my upperclassmen roommates with questions like, why are we walking into the field at midnight on a Friday night when the game's not till tomorrow? And they were explaining, well, we're going to midnight yell. This is the moment where we practice the yells that we're going to yell the next day. And I was like, don't those come kind of naturally, like spontaneous? I didn't know we had to rehearse. And they're like, not here at AM. We yell the same thing in unison to confuse and intimidate our opponents. Like, that makes sense. And they said, so we're going to do that for a few minutes. Then they're going to turn the lights out and you start making out with the person next to you. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, suddenly the explanation took a strange turn. I was like, what are you talking about? And they said, yeah, we're going to yell. They turn off the lights and you start kissing the person next to you. And if you didn't bring somebody, don't worry, you just hold up a light and someone will find you and you make out with them. And I was like, eh, until I realized uh, they're not joking, uh, which for an introvert was a total nightmare. I was like, um, I didn't bring anybody. So I was like, what's going to happen? They all started kissing and I'm like, how's it going over there? Like, I don't want to be that guy. And then I was like, wait, what if someone does find me and I don't want to kiss them? Am I just going to extinguish light? Like, no, thank you. Like, I don't know. I was like, I'm not ready for this. What does that do with football? So I did the only thing that was available to me at the time. Uh, I just stared at my shoes. But I remember as I looked down at my toes, I thought, wow, what a fascinating array of emotions that are sparked in a room like this with such a simple flip of a switch. Like for some, that flip of a switch would have just kickstarted anticipation because they were there with somebody cute and this was the moment they'd been waiting for. You know, oh, this yelling was precursor to the main event, <laughs> right? For some. Others, maybe there's an apathy, like they've been dating the same person for 14 years, which isn't even right when you're in college. But all the magic's gone. They kiss like old people. For other people, maybe there's agony that I was there with somebody a year ago and now I'm alone. Or for me, maybe there was anxiety of the fear of being alone, crashing into the fear of being somewhat, with somebody, just creating this tsunami of panic inside. Now, why mention all that? 
Because I find the same thing happens when I say, let's talk about dating or relationships and rooms full of people. When I say that, I've had rooms full of young people cheer when I say that. I've had rooms full of people in Dallas when I say, let's talk about dating, groan audibly, right? And you say, why such a wide range of responses among people the same age? Well, you go, for some of them, it's anticipation. They love talking about their love. They just interdigitate and they're like, talking about us, baby. He's talking about our love, right? Let's do another marriage series. Let's do a million. We love it. Some people, it's real exciting for them. For other people, it produces anxiety because they're like, what are the rules now? Like for better, for worse, back in the day in dating, at least you knew what to expect. When a guy was interested in a girl, he'd come a call and sit in the parlor and play the piano with her and her chaperones. And you just knew. But nowadays you talk to young people and they're like, do I call? Who calls anymore? Do I text? Is that too informal? Do I ask her to hang out? Is that too vague? Do I ask her on a date? Is that too formal? What are the rules? And nobody knows. And it induces stress in young people. And the introduction of the iPhone just a simple decade ago has put much confusion into intercommunication, primarily in dating. And for a lot of people, when you bring up the subject, it instantly produces agony. And I remember I did a talk at Breakaway about the destructive nature of secrets and had students write down secrets that were stealing their, their strength and put them in these barrels down front. Thousands of kids came, dropped them in these trash cans, and I read every single one. And four out of five were about the deep heartbreak of a relationship gone wrong. That I gave too much of myself to someone who didn't, wasn't worthy of my affections. Uh, I betrayed a trust that I can't win back. And what I've discovered is nobody cries like the brokenhearted. They don't. And the reality is I get the privilege at, at Breakaway, I got the privilege of working among college students for 12 years. Now in Washington, D.C., one-third of the people in the city are between the ages of 20 and 35. I don't know if that encourages or scares you that the government's run by 20-year-olds. <laughs> but the first time I ever put on a suit and walked up into the Capitol, I just asked somebody, how can I minister to your people? And he said, will you talk about dating because our relationships are a mess and they're hurting. And it doesn't matter how successful you are in your career if you're dying relationally. And the reality is there's a lot of pain in our world today that the most rigorous and reliable studies show that 90% of young single people wanna be married. But yet this generation is waiting longer to get married than any generation in recorded history. And you say, why? Well, there's different factors for that. Fear of divorce, fear not of them messing up marriage, but marriage messing up them, their career paths. For some, it's the confusion of how do we interact with one another. The dating scripts have dissipated. For others, it's been the introduction of pornography. Self-reported in Mark Regneris' very important book, Premarital Sex in America, the most rigorous studies on porn use found that 86% of men between 18 and 23 say they use pornography on a monthly basis. 50% say they use it once a week. 30% of young women. Forbes magazine just came out last week that pornography, the largest porn site in America, has an average of 81 million visitors per day. Every five minutes, more data is transmitted by that website than in the entire contents of the New York Public Library's 50 million books. We have a young generation awash in pornography, and all the studies we see says it makes them presume sexual exclusivity is unrealistic, holds cynical attitudes about love, affection, and marriage. And it's also been encouraging the self-reported awkwardness you see among young people as they even deal with the opposite sex. We have young people who are in crisis, and what are we going to do about it? 
Well, the good news is no matter where you are in the seas of relationships, there's fixed points that'll guide you home. Steve Callahan was lost for 76 days out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, but he had a sextant. And using his understanding of fixed realities about the universe, he measured the distance between sun and the, and the horizon, found out the latitudinal line he was on on the globe, paddled into the right current, and drifted safely to the Caribbean. And it's the same that I found with young people. No matter where they are in the tempestuous seas of life and love, there are fixed realities about God and humanity that if you can get them in your view, you can navigate the seas well. And so I wrote a book, Single, Dating, Engaged, Married, about trying to help people move through these different phases with God-given purpose and perspective. I can't cover all of them, but that's fine because Matt Chandler's going to talk about marriage later and crush. So let me focus on singleness and dating. And the reality is singleness, if you're not talking about it and you're a pastor, 45% of the adult population in America, 18 and older, is single. So much of the world is. 30% of homes, households in America are single occupant households. We need to have a message to the singles. And the message is not that you're just waiting by the well until someone comes and marries you because that's not Paul's message. Paul in 1 Corinthians, as he championed the gift of marriage, he said in verse 35, this I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is appropriate and secure an undistracted devotion to the Lord. Did you hear it? Paul said that God has ordained a season of singleness for every human being on the planet, not to pursue distraction and not simply to pursue career ambition. He said your singleness is for the purpose to pursue an undistracted devotion to the Lord because all things are made by him and for him and we are restless until we find our rest in him. And we will never love a guy or a girl right until we get a right relationship with God. We won't. So the woman at the well burned up five marriages and was living with a guy. And what did Jesus do when he came to her? He didn't give her five tips to how to have a happy marriage. He said, if you came to me, I'd give you a well of living water and it would overflow into life. You gotta have a source if you're gonna be a source. You wanna be a source of love for somebody else? You gotta draw near the source of love for us. Beloved, let us love one another. Love embraced becomes love extended. And so for the young people today, the people who are single at any stage in their life, it's singleness is not about distraction or ambition. It's about devotion to the Lord. I'm made to know him. That's why I'm in this world, right? And as I embrace that, then I go and make him known. And the reality is dating is great, but it can be distracting. That's why the Puritans used to separate guys and girls in rooms like this when they preach. I don't know if you've ever tried to listen to a sermon sitting next to a woman who smells fantastic. It's hard, right? <laughs> and so you get young people that dating can be distracting. So God in his grace gives us a season not to pursue distraction, but to be undistracted. It was interesting. I sat with a young single person not that long ago, and she said, have you seen this TV show? No. Have you seen this one? No. Have you seen this one? No. Have you seen this one? No. She said, how have you not seen these shows? I said, I have three kids under the age of six. I said, I have 30 minutes of discretionary time every day with which to do what I choose. And she said, I have like six. And I was like, I know, I've been there. And now I'm here and I'm so tired. <laughs> now, do I regret having kids? 
no, I love it. I love being married. I love having kids. But the reality is the tendency in all of us is to amplify the benefits of a different stage and downplay its limitations while we amplify the limitations of our own stage and downplay its privileges. If you are single, you have more freedom in time than any other human being on the planet. And that freedom in time is with a purpose, not to pursue distraction, but an undistracted devotion to the Lord. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, Paul said. The unmarried woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. I could go on and on about this, but the reality is the average young person today, by the time they turn age 21, has spent 10,000 hours playing video games. Takes less than half of that to earn a bachelor's degree. So I beg young men, don't spend your time saving fantasy worlds while the real world's on fire. And it is. And the reality is the average American spends 7.5 hours looking at a screen every day. Don't spend your life watching other people's lives on a screen and miss out on living your own. God has given you this time to leverage it for his purposes. And the happiest single people I know are the people who do that well, who leverage that, who cultivate a devotion. That word devotion means to be good at being close beside him. For me, when I was young, I realized I don't know the Bible very well. That here I am leading ministries and I've never read the whole book. But I realized I don't have the discipline to do it with this TV in my living room. So I got the TV out. And I would spend my young 20s writing out books of the Bible by hand. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying I wanted to know God. And often when I'm preaching, people are like, did you go to seminary? I can tell you're a seminary man. And I'm like, I did go to seminary and I loved seminary. But these insights came to me when I was 23, 24, and 25, alone in my apartment with the word of God. And I want that for you. Be good at being close beside his word. And then be good at being close beside his work. Get involved with the work of God. I remember I had a young woman come up to me at Breakaway and she was like, can you help build a house in Africa for these orphan kids? And I said, no, which sounds horrible for a minister to say. But I said, we're already supporting so many causes. People come up to us so often. I said, I think God put that on your heart because it's for you. So I think you need to do it. And nobody likes that answer. But she came back a year later and she said, hey, you told me to update you on what was going on. I said, let me know what's going on. She said, we built it. What do you mean we built it? She said, the house, built it. Kids living in it. They have a home, family, raising them. I was like, who's we? She said, my roommates. I'm like, how did you do this? A bunch of sophomores in college. I'm like, how'd you build a house in Africa? And she said, bracelets. I'm like, what do you mean bracelets? And she said, bracelets. We weaved them, sold them, raised 40 grand, built a house. And I'm looking at her and I'm like, that is a way to use your singleness. <laughs> that whatever else is true of you, you can say, but I changed the trajectories of families forever because I didn't waste it, man. I didn't waste it, right? And so some people hear that and they go, well, Ben, if all my singleness is about chasing God, how am I ever gonna meet somebody? Well, Paul told young Timothy, flee youthful lust, pursue righteousness, love, joy, and peace, along with those who call out to the Lord out of a pure heart. You make the decision. I'm gonna run away from things that steal life from me and I'm going to chase him. I'm gonna run with him. And sometimes you're David and you gotta fight Goliath alone. But when Jonathan sees you do that, he's gonna rise up and start giving you things. That's what Jonathan did. And the reality is you make the decision to follow the Lord. People are gonna run with you. Some of them will become your mentors. Some of them will become your dear friends. Some of them will be cute. And you just run along next to them. And then you get married. And marriage 
becomes not looking into the eyes of some other human being to find your meaning and worth. No other human being is able to carry that kind of freight. It's the two of you grab hands and you run together. The one marriage we're shown in the greatest fullness in the New Testament, only one, is Priscilla and Aquila. What do we know about them? They use their home to house the Apostle Paul. They use their business to fund the Apostle Paul. They use their words to bring Apollos to Christ. And when Paul was on his deathbed writing his letter to young Timothy, one of the last words the Apostle Paul said was, say hello to Priscilla and Aquila. That at the very end, they said, our singleness is devotion to the Lord and our marriage is a mission that the race never changes. I chase him and we link arms and chase him together. There's a lot to say about dating, but it'll have to be some other time, but pursue him, love him. And as a church, let me beg us, church, every category is shrinking of where people meet their mates, except for two, bars and online. The church category of where people meet who they marry has fallen to 2%. They didn't always do it right back in the day at the church, but the reality is churches often felt the need to cultivate their single people and to help them love each other. Let's do that as a church. Let's surround our single people. One of the greatest parts of my life is my wife and I routinely have meals at our house and our house is filled with married couples and single people. Our kids benefit from it and these singles do too. It's what the church is supposed to look like. Ancient Rome changed in large part because of the beauty of Christian marriage. They said your sexual practices are backward and regressive. Your lifestyle is weird, but your women are flourishing, and so are your kids. And so Rome was attracted to Jesus because of healthy marriages. And as we have healthy marriages and we invite singles into that, we can watch a culture change. Believers in Jesus have done it before, and it can happen again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father, as the youngest among us struggle with the onslaught of new technologies and real and how they help each other, may we not heap them with shame, but may we bless them with love. May we embrace them truthfully and may we speak to them the truth. And might we, Lord, with our marriages, raise up the standard of the beauty of how women flourish and children flourish in godly homes. And I pray the singles would say, and I have a home there too. They love me. They're modeling this for me. And I pray we would all run together towards you, single, devoted to the Lord. Lord, married on mission towards the Lord, that we could all race together into a day where as the world falls and breaks and sees that the systems aren't working, they say, you guys are backwards, you're odd, you're strange, and you're beautiful, and I want to be just like you. God, bless the world through us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the ERLC podcast. For more information on this topic and other free resources, visit ERLC.com. And join us next week as we listen to a panel on creating an adoption culture.